Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening. My name is Dr. Richard Selznick, and I am proud to be a part of the Coffee Clutch team. This is a show called School Struggles, and we talk about a range of topics, including learning disabilities, dyslexia, special education, ADHD, and a whole host of other topics that affect your child and keep you awake at night worrying about them. I am a child psychologist and the director of the Cooper Learning Center, which is a part of the Department of Pediatrics, Cooper University Healthcare. We're in Voorhees, New Jersey. I'm the author of two books. The first one is The Shutdown Learner, Helping Your Academically Discouraged Child, and the more recently published School Struggles, both of which are published by Sentient Publications. And you can learn more about these at my website, on www.shutdownlearner.com. That site is loaded with blogs and a lot of great tidbits for parents. You can also get the books on Amazon or Barnes & Nobles. Um, Our show tonight is sponsored by Mayor Johnson. Mayor Johnson is your special education super source. Mayor Johnson, the makers of Boardmaker, have recently released an e-catalog featuring hundreds of great products, including several significantly reduced in price. So visit www.mayor-johnson.com, and that's M-A-Y-E-R-Johnson.com. Also, how can you help your child who's just been diagnosed with autism? The online training course, Discovering Behavioral Intervention, is the answer. Real parents take you through applied behavioral analysis in a 10-step module. Learn more at www.udiscovering.org. That's the letter U, discovering.org. So tonight I am excited that we have three parents. I thought that it would be a great idea to have parents on uh, rather than always go the professional route. So these are parents of dyslexic children. We have Wendy Ramos and Rachel Catalano, both of Wishes of Literacy, uh, which is a grassroots su- uh, support group for parents on from my hometown of Staten Island, New York. So welcome, Wendy. Thank you. And welcome, Rachel, and accompanied by son, Jonathan. Hi there, guys. Well, hello. <laughs> Hi. We also have Andy Kavulik, um, who is from Decoding Dyslexia NJ, 
and decoding dyslexia and J and, and, and wishes of literacy are part of this grassroots movement of parents and children who are dyslexic. And, you know, the, it's the mission of the decoding, the decoding dyslexia groups and wishes of literacy is, is really to empower parents with knowledge and resources to help them with uh, navigating these challenging waters of dyslexia. So, without any further ado, I would like to just get started a little bit with, you know, just so we're on the same page. You know, there's so much mythology out there about dyslexia that I thought, you know, defining dyslexia just by the, the definition that I have, that I use in my professional practice and that the International Dyslexia Society uses and NICHD and the decoding dyslexia groups use. So I'm just going to read it so we make sure we're, we're, we're getting rid of the mythology right on the front end. So dyslexia is, a, is neurobiological in origin, which basically means it's inherited, and it's, ca and it's characterized by difficulties with accurate and or fluent word recognition and by poor spelling and decoding abilities. So that's that the key of the definition is right in there, accurate and or fluent word recognition and poor spelling and decoding abilities. And the definition goes on to say these difficulties typically result from a deficit in the phonological component of language that is often unexpected in relation to other cognitive abilities and the provision of effective classroom instruction. Secondary consequences may include problems in reading comprehension and reduced reading experience that can impede growth of vocabulary and background knowledge. So that's the definition, and I just want to make two quick comments and then turn it over to you guys, that notice in that definition they did not say anything about full-scale IQ scores, um, but they did talk about it being an unexpected problem, unexpected given the child's basic cognitive abilities. And I think that that phrase in there about the provision of effective classroom instruction is really important because there are many children who are quite young who are struggling with reading and decoding issues have, who have not yet, even in let's say first or second grade, have had the experience of effective classroom instruction. Okay, So I think that that's important to emphasize as well. Alright, Wendy, tell us about yourself a little bit. Yes, sir. Well, um, I started Wishes of Literacy about three years ago after my uh, son was diagnosed with dyslexia. Um, and like you said, you know, we're out there trying to empower parents, raise awareness for dyslexia, um, a bunch of things. We do workshops and so on and so forth. But my son, who is now 11, um, graduated from fifth grade at a barely kindergarten reading level. Um, he now goes to a, a private school for children with dyslexia and learning differences and um, has done um, exceptionally well in the past six or seven months that he's been there. He's, he's made tremendous strides. So it only reinforces that, um, you know, these kids can definitely learn. They want to learn. They just learn differently and, and need the right environment. Um, you know, and, and that's one of the things that wishes of literacy wants to make sure we put out there, a complete understanding of what dyslexia is and is not, and to get yeah. rid of, like, those myths that you, that you you know, you talk about. 
Wishes of Literacy is a wonderful group. I had the honor, this is how I, well, I've met you before that time, but I had the honor of going back to my hometown of Staten Island and presenting to, uh, to, to this group, uh, Wishes of Literacy, just a great group, a very active bunch of parents. Uh, Thank you. Rachel. Yes, hello. Hi, Rachel. Tell us um, about yourself. How are you? I am Good, how are you? Good. First and foremost, a mom, and I happen to have a dyslexic child who is 11 years old currently. His name is Jonathan, who is present here, so if there's any questions for Jonathan, he's available. And secondly, I am a Orton-Gillingham certified um, tutor, I guess, who, out of necessity for the needs of my um, son, became certified in Orton Gillingham. So, so you know what, Rachel, you know, later we and I try in, in one of my goals in this in school struggles is to talk in uh non you know, language that almost all parents can understand. So there are many parents out there who don't understand what Orton Gillingham is. So we're gonna hold that just for a little bit later. I'm gonna get back to you so you can help explain to us what that even means, Orton Gillingham. So that's great that you're Orton certified and you'll elaborate on that later for us, okay? Great. And hi, Andy. Hello, Richard. How are you doing? Good. How are you? We go way back as well. Yes. Um, you uh, helped out my oldest, Grace, and uh, she is 13. And so uh, we sort of started this journey with her in first grade, and that's where we got to meet you, and uh, you evaluated her. And we've been on this dyslexic journey really ever since. And uh, I guess, you know, after hearing uh, both Rachel and uh, Wendy speak, um, and with their children 11, a couple years younger than Grace, that's one reason that I got uh, passionately involved um, to share our story, uh, because I always felt, you know, if if we had got a chance to talk to other parents a couple years older than myself, um, people always say, what would you have done differently? I I probably would have acted on some things even quicker, uh, my wife and I, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, acting on uh, Grace's dyslexia. So um, sort of fast forward now, you know, six years later, and, uh, you know, that's really the, the, the main mission of decoding dyslexia is to really share, uh, as parents, um, our collective experiences. And, you know, th that's really how we've been, uh, you know, trying to empower other parents. I, you know, I think that that's just a great mission, the idea of a collective experience, because what I have found in my work, uh, you know, because every day I'm, on, in a sense, on the front lines meeting parents who are concerned about their kids, and there is a collective experience. I think that's a really interesting way of putting it, and I think the three of you share a collective experience, and it is a journey, uh, this, this sort of journey of you know, your child with dyslexia, and I think of navigating the waters. Um, when, Wendy, yes. tell, tell us, I want you to focus in on this idea of the early indicate. you know, the early, all of us can, mm -hmm. can chime in, but Wendy, start us with the idea of the, when did you first notice in your mind as a mom, because I always think it's the moms, <laughs> sorry, Andy, it's mostly the moms <laughs> okay. that are picking up on it, that, uh, early on, uh, concerns. You know, what, what were your early concerns? When did you notice there were some things that seemed, in a sense, off? I would say I knew something was off with Lewis as early as 16, 17 months. Um, believe it or not, Lewis was not talking. 
sounds were um, just about the only thing, you know, that he, he, he did verbally. And um, they were unintelligible sounds. And, um, you know, the first thing, and of course at that time I had no idea what dyslexia was. And, um, you know, I went to the doctor. We went, we went through early intervention and speech therapy. And there was barely, I would say, no gains, no gains at all. Mm-hmm. Um, until pre-K, um, you know, he was in a, in a pretty nice uh, special education type of pre-K program where they worked with him and we started to get some sounds from him and he was becoming more verbal. And then, you know, we went into kindergarten where now, of course, you know, learning letters and letter sounds and, and all that early early reading stuff was taking place and, you know, he, he didn't have a clue. And um Right. Y- 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 yeah. That was definitely my early indicator was the speech. But on the reverse of that, that's the early indicator of, of what he couldn't do. But the early indicator of what he could do and the things that dyslexic kids mm-hmm. are so great at are, you know, he could at a year put puzzles together and and do Legos and and build things and he figured out how to you know get from point A to point B or or accomplish what he was trying to get done without using words. Right. So, even though I didn't um, quite, yeah, sorry. No, no, it's okay. Go ahead. No, as I say even I'm picking up on what you said about the Legos and and yeah. you know that that even though uh, I didn't really focus on the term dyslexia and shutdown learner. I called them Lego kids yeah, from, from many know, of them, I and know. I think that that's that's you know like I, I think it's great that you're pointing out that it, it isn't just a deficit syndrome. That there are so many wonderful strengths that these right. kids bring to the table. Um, how about you, Andy? What 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 were some of the early indicators for you? Let's say around four or five years old. What were some of the concerns? I. I would say that, uh, you know, she had a sort of uneventful nursery, pre-K, kindergarten experience, although, you know, in hindsight, you sort of look back, there was a lot of indicators there. It was really like we didn't know what we were looking at. But in first grade, I I think the term I've heard a lot of people say is like slamming up against a wall. Um, I think that's when she slammed against the wall. And and I only could say the, the frustration and the amount of tears that we saw at that time, you know, you're just like, wow, I do not remember, you know, early sort of uh, education being this difficult. And that's when we sort of said, uh, my wife mentioned one night, she said, I I think she might be dyslexic because I struggled like this when I was young. And that really was sort of the lightning bolt moment. And, but then, and then when you sort of get some of the checklists and understand the characteristics, it was then that we looked back and we knew that, you know, there was a lot of time and sequence issues, uh, you know, maybe not knowing days of the week and different, different things like that just we would know that it made a lot of sense once we had that information. So we have t- we have language issues that were noted early on, coupled with with you know back to Wendy, uh, language issues early, coupled with some clear strengths with with Andy's with Grace. We had time issues, sequencing, and and and, and those those kind of early indicators. I, I was just gonna as, say- as well as par- as well as parent predisposition. I think that if one or the other parent. No, they didn't have to because back in an era, let's say from 20 years ago, maybe even currently, frankly, but let's say 20 years ago, very few kids were were diagnosed with dyslexia. So you might be an adult who knows, who remembers struggling, but didn't have 
the label of dyslexia from that era, correct, Ann? Right. Yes. I was just going to say the, the thing I, I probably didn't uh, – she did struggle, obviously, with uh, reading and the, and the decoding part. She just memorized and with her own compensation strategies, you know, got through, say, like the early, you know, pre-K, kindergarten and nursery school and sort of flew through because she had the ability to memorize. And, and it was in that where it sort of, you know, became more a little more academic that, you know, she uh, struggled with cat in the hat. And, um, and, and really, you know, that's, and that's when the tears and the frustration took place. Yes, and it's it's the tears and frustration of the early years. It's it's such a shame, and I think that this notion that that so many kids, because they do memorize well and they are smart, in effect are able to cover up in grades, you know, from kindergarten through at least second grade. So many of the kids who can can memorize for the spelling test or have memorized, uh, you know, sight, enough sight words to get themselves in the game. Everybody thinks, in a sense, they're fine which then we find out they're not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, R- Rachel, tell us about Jonathan's early struggles. Um, Jonathan got diagnosed, luckily, um, at six years old. Um, but prior to that, in pre-K, the teacher acknowledged that there was something not right, but they couldn't identify exactly what it was, which was interesting. Because um, as far as he's concerned, there was no, he's a classic dyslexic, as I've been told, which is there's no underlying issues going on. However, he's just dyslexic. Um, a lot of these children have dual diagnosis as well. So, um, Jonathan. Well, what do you mean by that dual diagnosis? Can you explain that further, please? His speech was um, eloquent. He's an eloquent speaker. Um, there is no. Uh, central auditory processing, as which we find a lot, is as, as a dual. Um, there's no ADHD, which we find a lot as a dual. All these things that parents come in and or, or find that their children have, like I said, dual diagnosis. He didn't have any of those. He spoke well. He um, sat <laughs> for six hours in a classroom. But there was just something not right. And this was in pre-K. In kindergarten, the teacher finally came to our attention and said they saw reversals, which is also, you know, at kindergarten, a lot of times it's a myth. Children do reversals in kindergarten. So as a parent, not knowing at that time what the reversal indicated, um, said, well, he's, you know, in kindergarten, so that's normal. Um, However, he couldn't. His memorization was awesome, but when he had to put that pencil to paper, which I find very, very difficult for a lot of dyslexic children, that pencil to paper for those spelling tests, it was very difficult for him. The phonemic awareness started dripping in, and it was, you know, now kindergarten isn't what it was 20 years ago. So <laughs> that yeah. um, phonemic awareness is very, very strong, and um, they expect a lot more from them. So that that was a big, big indicator for Jonathan, phonemic awareness. Yeah. You, um, it, it's not your grandparents' kindergarten anymore, is it? You know, it's, <laughs> no you know, way. it's, it's uh, you know, it's a, it, I saw a child recently who was told on his report card that he was having trouble 
with narrative writing, and I was like, narrative <laughs> writing? And this poor kid couldn't write, I went to the zoo. Uh, you know, you can no sooner do that than write narrative discourse, you know. Um, what were the, the, the what were some of the obstacles? Like, I want you to stay away. I know that parents come in to my, to me, sort of uh, with you know, effect, effectively you know, with teeth gnashing over frustration with school. And I don't want to get into a a school bashing, but I do want to talk about what were some. What do you not necessarily early on or any? What do you see as some of the roadblocks or the obstacles? that your child or you have had to overcome in this journey? Uh, and who, who would like to start on that one? Um, I would like to start is, sequencing. Uh, Wendy, is that you, Wendy? I'm getting oh, Rachel, that's Rachel. Rachel, sorry, Rachel. Yeah, tell us what you see as some of the obstacles. Sequencing was very interesting um, as a young child, right? Go to I meant more the obstacles like that are out there, not, not so much the, their obstacles as much as the things that you start to face relative to the school or frustration that you I, again i'm trying to stay away from uh, you know bashing school as much as saying but what were some of the things that you started to run into in terms of the way the system was seeing your child and dealing with their issues well, what were some of those obstacles i meant direction direction meaning uh-huh. you know go get i don't know the laundry and bring it downstairs mm-hmm. you couldn't give a uh, child too many directions at one time Right. They needed to, you know, then he would or go get the laundry, bring it downstairs, and put it over here. Um, those three directions were very difficult. You had to do right. it um, one at a time. He would bring the laundry down, but then he would ask, where do you want me to put it? <laughs> right, right. So the, the that's what I mean by sequencing. So sure. he was in school, it was go to page 78, and let's go to number six. Okay, so 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 you might get from the, possibly you might hear oh he's Jonathan's just not paying attention things exactly. like that right. You, um, well, I think it's some of that. I think it's because How about you, you know. Wendy? Well, I think it's just because people just don't get it. They don't understand it. They they don't know what it is. They don't know how to help it. Um, and there's very few resources and people who can guide you in the right direction as a parent who doesn't have the knowledge on what to do or where to go. And I think that's the hugest obstacle. It's, right. it's not as much as it's out there, especially with groups like us, like with Wishes of Literacy and Decoding Dyslexia, what we're trying to do is it's, it, it, as much as it's out there, it's even more so still not out there. You know, I mean, I think Rachel and I come across it all the time. How many parents just, don't realize what dyslexia is. How many teachers, as much as they want to be able to help, don't know how to teach a child with dyslexia? They don't get it. Yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and I, in rela- relation to that, an obstacle that I get a lot, that I think parents get a lot, is something like this statement, which came up last week in that big conference in New Jersey with decoding dyslexia, the, the statement that says, well, you have to get diagnosed by a neurologist, which is one of those big obstacles, you know, mm. because I... That's a, that's one of those kind of mythologies that are out there. How about you, Ann? I, I, I was going to say I'll take a, a stab at it. Uh, that the day after um, we sort of said, hey, you know, we think Grace is dyslexic. Um, I had to go to our pediatrician to get shots for our other child, and so I'm there, and 
I said, hey, doc, um, you know, I think my oldest is dyslexic. You know, what, what do you know about it or what, you know, what should I sort of do? So I, I asked the, the right question at the right time. And then he goes, uh, well, you know, that's an educational issue. So I, and, you know, really not knowing at that time what I'm dealing with, I'm like, okay. And so, you know, uh, I sort of go on my way. And then, you know, as we go through the process and, you know, then we meet with, uh, you know, the educational uh, child study team and the educational side. And we say, well, we think she's dyslexic, you know, because of this, this, and this. And then the person responsible for grace says, well, that's a medical issue. And really, as a parent, you're sort of like, gosh, I'm in a Bugs Bunny cartoon because they're pointing <laughs> both ways. But it also helped me as a parent to know I have got to be a strong advocate for my child. Mm-hmm. And and it really, you know, it was. I'm glad that I had that experience because really from that, I know maybe, you know, the, how to advocate and then also maybe to help other parents who are dealing with the same thing. Right, right. The, the the issue of advocacy and 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 advocating for your child is is uh, it comes up all the time, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sure yeah. Does. What, what are some of the best? What are some of the uh, things that have been put into place? I mean, uh, Rachel talked before about Orton Gillingham. I know that Grace received early Orton Gillingham work as well. Um, or style, you know, Wilson style, Orton Gillingham style. Can we? Can you guys talk about what's worked for your child? What What are the things that both uh, direct interventions as well as some accommodations that have really helped? Uh, Wendy, why don't you start? Um, well, I mean, Lewis did receive Wilson in school, but it was late in the game. It was like fourth grade before he really started receiving it. But when he was receiving it, and and luckily the teacher providing it was a really great teacher and one who, who kind of had a grasp of Wilson and Orton Gillingham, um, which I think is very key. Um, once she started working with him, I did start to see some improvement, but I think at that point in time, you know, unfortunately the gap was so large, there was nothing that they were really going to be able to do unless it was kind of all-day intensive. Um, I can only say... I, I've really seen the most improvement and the most gains and strides since he's been in in you know the school for children with with dyslexia and learning differences. The, the teachers get it. He's with peers that are similar to him. Um, um, it's a creative environment, um, very multisensory in every um, subject. You know, if they're learning uh, uh, ancient Greece, they don't just sit and listen to a lecture on ancient Greece. They do a mural on ancient Greece, and they bring in foods from Greece. So they make it, you know, fun for the kids and creative for the kids. And I think that's where I've seen the most um, progress mm-hmm. take place. Well, what's the school that your child attends? Uh, it's the community school in Teaneck, New Jersey. Great, great. Sounds sounds like a wonderful place. It is. It really is. And Rachel, what what have you? you uh, I just want to comment that this. I, I see that on the board here that you know sometimes it, it's counting down to to the half hour mark, and it's possible that those listening live may get shut off. But this, I believe that this show will continue for at least through the forty five minute mark. So if you want to listen to the complete show in podcast, folks can do that. So uh, fear not if it does shut off at, at the half hour mark. Um, Rachel, tell us what things that have worked, you know, for for, for Jonathan. 
Um, me personally, I come from a different perspective. Jonathan has been homeschooled for three years using the Orton-Gillingham methodology due to the fact that at the time he was diagnosed, I didn't know anything about dyslexia. I was learning. I have two children, a 16-year-old, and Jonathan's my youngest, 11. So my 16-year-old obviously didn't have any issues, so I had to learn a lot of information when it came up um, with my youngest. So I waited. I did the wait-and-see process, and that, for me, um, brought me to understanding a little bit more than what a dyslexic child needs, and that was a multisensory approach. So for me, multisensory is the um, all-in-everything, I think. Um, He has excelled and will be returning to the system. Um, I call it the system. Will be returning to school for the sixth grade, junior high school, because he had three years of full um, multi-sensory Orton-Gillingham at home. So I do come from a different side of the coin when we talk about education. That was my choice because I didn't pull him out of the system um, of school until third grade. It took me that long to understand dyslexia and to get certified as well. So when I learned what a child needs, I took um, proactive and went to get certification, and then with a team of people that I met along the way have been able to um, supply, I guess, Jonathan with the needs that he needs needed to now, which I believe he's going to be okay when he goes back in. <laughs> I don't that's know, Jonathan, do you think you're going to be okay great. when you go back into the system? I think I'll be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, a strong endorsement from Jonathan. <laughs> Andy, tell us what some of the things that have worked, either some maybe accommodations. I know Grace um, also received some very early multisensory intervention, but what, what's worked for her? I, yeah, I, w- I would say it's probably a little in between both in that, you know, once we sort of saw where she you know, initially was in school was not working and we knew that she needed much more intensity, and I guess that's how we evaluated it, that, you know, one, it had to be the right programs, the teachers had to be, you know, really trained and proficient and certified on the programs, and then it had to be at the right intensity, and, and that's what Grace needed. She needed more intensity, so that's how we, we placed her in a private school. Um, so it's sort of in between. Um, if, uh, you know, had no other option, you know, I probably would have looked into, like, a homeschooling, op- op- you know, option, basically. Um, but, and really, with the programs and, and those right thing, the right programs, teachers, and the intensity, she's thrived. I, I always say I don't think she's ever looked back. Yeah. I think that, that that concept of the right intensity is, is is a really, really important one. You know, it's, you know, I've I've tried to get across to parents and to schools, you know, the level of problem really guides the level of of need in terms of the level of intensity you know it's so so with the children that are presenting as moderate to severely dyslexic they they just need a lot more of the good stuff if you know what i mean they need a lot more of the of the of the right kind of of approaches sustained over time i think that's another important point what i have found with the dyslexic kids is that let's just say it takes I don't know a hundred repetitions for for something to to sink in for a lot of these kids it might take five hundred repetitions so you you have to really sustain it over time with with a with a 
with that kind of intensity that you're talking about. And I think um, that the, the key is that they, they master something before they move on. Yeah, and, that's right. You know, so it's sort of at their pace, and when they master it, then they they move on. And I, I think that, like, the programs that we're all talking about, that's how they're designed. Yeah, and, I think that's and, yeah, I wanna, I'm trying to punctuate. You know, you, all of you are making such wonderful points, and I'm trying to sort of punctuate them in a sense or highlight them. I think that, that this notion of mastery is a, is a very important part of the Orton-Gillingham and Wilson and other programs where – Effectively, you're not the child is not moving on and not moving forward too quickly until they really do feel a sense of mastery at a particular level or a particular substep, and 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 that 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 also you know that's something that really needs to to be emphasized along with the notion of multisensory. I also find the se- the sequential nature of it, uh, you know, the, like the kids start with closed syllables, which basically means short vowel sounds, you know, hop on pop, those kind of words, and we're not, we're, they're not moving forward until they've mastered those type of word patterns, and then they get into slightly more complicated word patterns, like a word like clip, you know, that has a consonant, consonant, short vowel, and a consonant clip, a ship, words like that. I have to watch what I say there. I almost said the wrong words. You know? um, so, and I think, so, Richard, I so, yeah, think sorry. that most well, – I'm sorry. I think that most classrooms today and most teachers don't have the luxury of that time that it takes no, to allow mastery. I think that that's, that's really true, and, and I, I find – I like to hear what you guys think. I find so many of the dyslexic kids are putting into waters of frustration yeah. that – they truly can't handle. I've been on a campaign. I call it worksheet burnout disorder. That they're given material that's just too complicated with multi-syllable yep. words, and you know, way too soon. That really frustrates them. Right. And also, I think uh, you know, on the flip side of that is the teachers aren't trained in you know the, these types of programs or the recognition of these kids. So when they're standing in front of a classroom, they must feel the frustration of like, well, why isn't what I've been taught in you know my undergraduate graduate program with teaching not working with these X amount of kids that are in my classroom? Exactly. So yeah. I, I so you know as a sort of a, as we've been on this journey, the, the teachers, it's not that they don't want to teach the child; it's that they don't have some of the skill set to teach the child as well. They were never given the tools when they were in school. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a great point. I was a young, yeah. I was a young teacher on Staten Island, and I had a, a boy who was. This is what's actually started me on my journey. He was severely dyslexic, and um, I had no idea what to do with him. And it was only because a professor that I met at a, a workshop uh, along the way had a way of a method of teaching decoding that I brought back to this boy that started to work. And I went, wow, this is this could this is pretty good. And this is far way, way before the, these movements really start to kick in. But I think you were right that, they, that as a teacher, I didn't feel at all equipped, and it made me didn't make me feel very good, you know. <laughs> well, as an old um, Orrin Gillingham certified, I offer the training through my fellow who um, is kind enough to offer the training to other teachers, and she has. Um, I've had many teachers come in and said that in their graduate master's degrees, they've only gotten um, it was mentioned dyslexia was mentioned but there was no elaboration on it. Right. So, but one in five, one in five of the children in special ed are, or in whatever society 
has some form of dyslexia. So I think that there needs to be, that's what the whole thing started with, more awareness to the fact that one in five have some degree of dyslexia. That means there's a lot of people out there. (laughs) I actually, yeah, I know that the one in five is, is what's, you know, the accepted ratio. I actually think it's it's more um, closer to two, to two in five. That's been my impression, that that at least 40 I think that's right. Am I saying that correctly? Mm-hmm. 40% um, have my, they could have very, very mild issues with decoding, but may not be seen as full-blown dyslexic, but that at least at least two in five are struggling at some level with, with reading. So we're, we're, um, what what would be then your top advice? Because I, I'm I'm being sensitive to time. I know we're getting toward the 45 minute mark. Um, Rachel, what's your top advice for parents? What would you say would be to you know kind of put give me give us a top two or three things that you might top help advice parents? Is early intervention, early early. If you know um, Jonathan was diagnosed at six. Um, he's 12 or 11. Sorry, honey. He's 11, and he's still dyslexic. So it doesn't. What, can I answer you? I want to interrupt you one second. What if the school does not want to evaluate early? What would you advise a parent to do? Um, I do advise that if well, it's hard because it is hereditary, as we know, correct? Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know who it was in our family until we had a child who was you know, who had it. So that's a little hard to say get, you know, diagnosis early or some kind of testing early. Um, I know it's, you know, if they need to do it privately, do it privately. The wait-and-see approach does not work. It's, yeah, it's, I, w- I, I wouldn't support what you're saying. I think that, you know, if you can, unfortunately, it, it often can be out of pocket, but if if you do feel like at six years old, five, six, or seven years old that you're getting, you know, the message that we're not ready to test your child through the school, if you can seek a private evaluation, I would really reinforce what what Rachel's saying to seek a a private assessment. Um, What are two two other pieces of advice from a parent point of view that you might give? Um, Learn about it, research it, learn about it the best you can, and a multisensory approach. Every child learns differently, and it's, you know, the multisensory approach, not everybody likes to do it the same way. I mean, right. um, if you can get some kind of help in a multisensory approach, do the multisensory. You'll see leaps and bounds. That's um, good. That's great. And uh, not look, Wendy? It's, I'm sorry, one more thing. And not look okay. at it as um, a disability. I I just don't like that these children are classified as disabled. I just wish that they would be classified as learning differently. I yeah, those are great points. I I think that I I have a really tough time with that as well. I I've, I've always had a tough time calling a child disabled when, you know, they are learning differently. They they have they do almost always have a a wonderful array of strengths that go with these weaknesses and most of us have them. Uh, you know, most of us have an array of strengths and weaknesses. And I do think you're right. Parent knowledge, you know, reading the good books, you know, reading the books that are out there and, and going on the, the good websites and using the decoding dyslexia groups and groups like Wishes of Literacy are wonderful resources. So I think that that's, that is great advice. Hey, Wendy, I was just, oh. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ian. 
I was just going to say that uh, really that's was really one of our key mission um, of decoding dyslexia when we all got together and started it. It was to to help provide some of what you just said, the resources to sort of. We, we sort of felt if we could help a parent save some time, some money, and some angst in terms of, like, you know, barking up the wrong tree, and that's mm-hmm. really what we try to provide. So uh, the the website is www.decodingdyslexianj.org, and it has a lot of things to support, you know, parents with their children. And, and like, uh, to really piggyback off what what has been said is really trust your gut as a parent. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any of us would say, gosh, I wish we waited even longer. Yeah. No. You know, I, I have said, you know, people said, well, what would you do? Shut down, learn. What's your top piece of advice? Like I'm asking you guys. And my top piece of advice is to trust your gut. You know, try, I, you know, typically and more often than not in my world, it's the mom that's the driver of the engine. Andy's a great advocate as well. And But trust your, your gut. What's your intuition? What, you know, if, if at five and six, I have almost 99% of the time found that if a mom or a parent thinks there's something going on, there is. You know, so really, I think that's great advice, trusting your gut and using the groups like the Coding Dyslexia NJ. And Richard, may I ask the professional advice? Is it ever Mm -hmm. too early to diagnose it? You know, it's funny because last week when we were at that conference, I wanted to ask Dr. Shea what's her opinion on this. I I believe that at four years old and five years old, that I know the red, I call them the red flags, that the red flags are up. I'm a little bit uncomfortable at five and six, this is just my thing, saying that a child is dyslexic, because I, you know, what happens at the end, of, let's just say you start to give them, say, Orton-Gillingham structured multisensory approaches, and the child takes off. You know, is, is, there are those kids, there are, even with some of the indicators that do take off once you're doing the right kind of instruction. So then it seems to me that maybe they aren't truly dyslexic, if you follow what I'm saying. But I do think there's no gain in waiting. I think at four, I think at five, and at six, you, they, they, you know, they're pl- you know the, if the indicators are up, it's time to take action. That's My, what I would advise people. Richard, I oh, think an I'm, important piece. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rich. My the thing to that is that um, something with a multi, if you fee- see the red flags going on and you feel like, okay, so you don't feel like you can diagnose dyslexia at four or five years old. A multisensory approach doesn't harm gonna hurt anyone. Absolutely. So, I, totally, I taught my own son Daniel to read at five because I'm Wilson certified as well, and I, I taught him to read with a Wilson approach. Not because I had worries about him, but I knew, you know what, this is a sensible way to get him out of the gate. And, exactly. you know, it got him reading early on, and then off he went. And, and so, so if your child, even if your child is not dyslexic or the indicators are up, you absolutely can use these structured multisensory approaches early to, to move them in the right direction. It's right. a great way to teach any child, well, basically. Mm-hmm, absolutely. <laughs> but right. I want to give my piece of advice because I think it's really it. important. Because it's not going to harm your child. What, Wendy, what would be your – because I do have my, to wind down here I, in a minute. I would reiterate everything that everyone said, but I would also say as a parent – don't be ashamed. Be proud of your child. There is something that your child excels in and is awesome in. Find it and, and promote it because all day long in school it's what they can't do, what they can't do, what they can't do. Find the thing that they're good at. Promote it. Give them accolades. 
you know, have parties over it. Let them know that they're awesome kids. They can learn. They're amazing, and there's nothing that can hold them back. Yeah, I, I think that that's that's great advice. I, I like to have kids, if I can, when they are finished an evaluation with me. It doesn't always work this way, but it often does. Walk out even after an evaluation, feeling, wow. That was pretty good. I'm pretty good at those blocks, or I'm pretty good at that stuff, or you know, I might not be the greatest reader, but boy, I can those drawings. Doctor, right. he he really thought those were great, you know. So yeah, echoing and and validating that part of them that um, you know that that knows where their strengths are is, is really really valid, you know. So. Um, I want to thank you guys. We could probably go on a long time, but I think that um, I'm starting to feel the clock and all the pressure of that. So maybe we'll have another one in the you know some months from now. Or so, you know, but it's great to hear the parents' point of view. Um, Jonathan, is there anything you want to throw into the mix here that we missed? Uh, no, you guys pretty much covered everything, and uh, thank you for uh, hey, hey, Jonathan, thank you. You you sound like a really cool kid, Jonathan. You sound like a cool kid. So thanks a lot for your input. You know. <laughs> um, you know, I want to thank you guys and, and Wishes of Literacy. Again, you can find them at wishesofliteracy.webs.com. They're also on Facebook under Wishes of Literacy. And um, the, the deco- Andy is part of the decodingdyslexianj.org. And there are, all, there are a ton of dis- decoding dyslexia groups out there um, across the country. And it's, it's quite a movement. So, and if you want to hear this show in podcast, you can also hear it at www.thecoffeeclutch.com. So, um, next month, my guest will be Dr. Michael Galloway, which will add uh, a real interesting wrinkle to this whole thing. He's a, a developmental optometrist, and we will be discussing all of the controversy in the field regarding the role that vision may or may not play with learning disabilities. I'm sure it will be a lively show. So be sure and visit my website, www.shutdownlearner.com and thecoffeeclutch.com and visit our sponsor sites. And I want to thank you for listening to School Struggles, the place you come to for down-to-earth, no-nonsense, plain language about your child. So see you next time. Thanks, folks. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, guys. Take care.